Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast with me, Matt Ketchell, football and fan engagement editor here at Chronicle Live, filling in for your regular Match preview host Andrew Musgrove, who's enjoying a, a little mid-season break. It's been a, a long week for Newcastle fans, lots of manager speculation and hope, but uh, here we are to remind everyone that there's a match at the weekend, a very important one at that, and Newcastle travel to Brighton for a 5.30 game on Saturday, live on BT Sport, the last game before another international break, and probably Graham Jones's final game in caretaker charge of Newcastle, although after the last couple of days, let's not rule him out still being in caretaker charge for the Brentford game on uh, November the 20th. Today we're going to get the inside track on Newcastle's opponents on Saturday, Brighton Hove Albion. And to do that, we're joined by Brighton reporter Rich Mills from Sussex Live. Rich, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me on. So the mood in in the Newcastle camp is uh, mixed, to say the least. Uh, But I want to ask you what the mood is like at Brighton right now. Pretty decent, I'd imagine. It's been quite a solid start to the season for you, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of, yeah, was it 10 games in, 16 points, coming back from a you know 2-0 deficit at Anfield, I think the first time that a team has done that since 2016, yeah, Brighton fans would have bitten your hand off. It, it's a really, really strange start. It, well, m- maybe not a strange start, but in terms of the expectations were sort of maybe here and then what the reality is like here. So, yeah, they are uh, doing a fantastic job and... Um, yeah, Brighton fans. This is probably the best time in the club's history to be a Brighton fan. So, mm, yeah, the highest highest you've ever been probably in the in the football league pyramid for a while at least, or in the Premier League at least. I'm just looking at your form here. Obviously, great start to the season: two wins, um, and then a win in the in the, the EFL Cup, then a, a loss at home to Everton, but then two really great wins uh, against Brentford and Leicester. And there's been a lot of draws since then, almost exclusively draws in in the league. Um, so you're probably due a win. And probably probably expect it to happen on Saturday. Is that fair to say? Uh, well, I mean, going by last season's results, sorry to bring this up, listeners. Uh, obviously, <laughs> it was 3-0 and 3-0 both times. Um, <laughs> I, I th- yeah, in terms of the way that Newcastle set up last year, that was just you know perfect for Brighton. But yeah, in terms of their recent form, yeah, I think it's no wins in, in five for Brighton. Um, so yeah, they will definitely be... Um, yeah, I think expecting a win just in terms of the, the two teams' you know, current predicaments. Um, the way that Brighton have played, uh, they should have beaten Arsenal. They absolutely um, they were dominant against Arsenal and they couldn't get that winner. It's still a little bit of an issue in terms of goal scoring. They are they are a little bit more a um, little bit more clinical than they were last season, but they still don't have a really clinical striker. If you know, if Brighton had a Callum Wilson, I really do think that they would be further up the table even more than they are. I think an eighth. So, um, I think in terms of yeah, most people would would back them to win win at home, um, and it might just be by the odd goal. But uh, yeah, it, it should um, it should be an interesting one, just in terms of 
I, I think there's a lot of interest about what's going to happen with Newcastle, just I think from everyone's, I think most teams, because I think there's maybe a feeling that if they can get to January intact, then you've obviously got the the backing and potentially you could just go up like that. So it, it could really change the the dynamic and complexion of the table. So I think, um, yeah, but at the moment, this is definitely a game that Brighton should be winning. But, you know, Newcastle on their day can hurt teams, but not so far this season. Mm. Yeah, New, Newcastle need a manager. Brighton have, have, have got a manager, a very good one at that. Let, let's talk about Graham Potter. His stock seems to rise every game. Do you worry when clubs are in for managers, big clubs like Tottenham and Man United and Newcastle, maybe? Does that alarm you when, when there's movement in the management market? I think it does a little bit. And I think just the, the fact that his stock keeps on going up. Pep Guardiola said that he was the best English manager in the, in the game. Um, Jurgen Klopp said he has all the makings to be a top-class manager. Um, he's been tipped to be a future England boss. He was linked with Spurs, Newcastle, Everton. Um, I think what if... I think if he was tempted to go, a lot of things would have to be in place because, for example, he's such a big fan of Brighton owner and chairman Tony Bloom. He has... Because at the start of the year, literally January, uh, Graham Potter's job was not that secure. Uh, Brighton were near the relegation zone. They were really, really struggling. They had lots of chances, but they couldn't... Yeah, they were called, you know, the kings of expected goals because they were just... They couldn't hit a barn door. Um, And... And now it's sort of t- the tables are turning, you know, in 10, nine, 10 months. He's gone from being, oh, this is I'm not sure the project, Potter project is working to everyone wants a piece of the project. So, but yeah, in terms of, I think he, I think he would really have to really trust the chairman. He has a, a very strong policy on developing the youth. Uh, Brighton this summer, I think, achieved a, a goal that has been sort of nine years in the making of basically giving, um, more minutes to academy players. I think thirty uh, percent of that, just in terms of getting into the first team, like of the percentage of the squad of academy players. So that's the yeah, so youth having a good owner, and he has a very clear strategy of playing. He's um, you know it's very possession based. They pass out from the back, but it's a very fluid motion in terms of their formation in attack. There um, sometimes they have. Uh, a striker, but then they'll have like strikers who might be going out to wingers and, and they'll always press at the front and then they'll sort of shift and go from like three up front to, to two and one. And so it's, it's mm. just a lot of the time it's very intelligent. Um, they've got a clear ideology. And I think if he did move, there would have to be a very, I think, good structure in place. And for example, with Spurs, I don't know if that would have been tempted to him just in terms of you know, the managerial merry-go-round there and, and that sort of thing. So, but yeah, he, he's definitely, his stock is rising. And But I still think that he needs to have a season where he does very well for Brighton before getting a move. So he's, you know, finished, I think, 15th and 16th in the league. They've had 41 points each time, which is a record for Brighton in the Premier League. But it was only one more than Chris Hewton, and he was criticised for maybe being too negative football-wise. But yeah, I think if they if Brighton get into around the top ten, then that'll be a big achievement, and then maybe a springboard to the club. But I still think he has to do a little bit more at Brighton for now. Mm. Do you think the Newcastle job would interest him? Is does he have a, a release clause like Unai Emery 
supposedly hard. And, you, you, do, and is he asked about this in his press conferences? You you attend his, his press conferences. Does he? How does he feel this kind of speculation? He pretty much dismisses it every time. Uh, I think when the Newcastle one came up and his name was mentioned, he, mentioned, he dismissed it as noise. Um, he, he says, you know, it's part of the 24 media circle that we live in. Um, he, he's very, very happy at Brighton. He's got a contract until 2025. Um, I, from what I understand, it, there would be a significant buyout package to to get him um, mm-hmm. or compensation to Brighton. And that was, um, from what I understand, that was apparently not a stumbling block, but that was something that I think some clubs, because Everton and Tottenham were interested, but I don't think they actually made a formal offer to try to bring him in. But yeah, so there might be a little package. But in terms of Newcastle, I mean, just in terms of that, you know, endless pit of money. I mean, you could say that most managers would probably be interested in it, but um, I think maybe with that ownership, there, there comes a pressure and then I'm not sure how patient maybe the owners would be. And I think he, obviously at Brighton, they've been very patient uh, and I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I would say it's a slim chance that he would join Newcastle, but you never know. Hmm. Um, a criticism of Newcastle squad is that it hasn't been freshened up enough over the years. There's a lot of players there who helped the club win promotion to the Premier League way back in 2017 now. And I suppose you could say the same of Brighton's. There's a lot of what you might call second-tier players, but they're performing really well, aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, so, yeah, the, the players that have, I guess, have graduated up would be Lewis Dunk. Um, he, Brighton fans have this this they, they believe that there's a conspiracy against Lewis Dunk in England because they feel that he's one of the best in the Premier League but he doesn't get called up so but yeah he, mm. he's a rock solid guy um Solly March has, has improved quite a lot and I think both of those two have improved under Potter's tutelage which I think is something that maybe is not talked about as much as it should just the ability of a coach to improve the players that he has rather than going into the transfer market to to make the team better um and then Adam Webster's made the step up from the championship. Uh, he's become a very good defender. Neil Mope, he's not ever been prolific, but he's been the top scorer for Brighton in the last two seasons, and he's scored four goals this season. Um, they, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say um, Brighton's uh, recruitment hasn't always been good. They've had a few flops in there, and they've spent quite a lot of money on on um, Jurgen Lacardia, mm. uh, who's not really done much. I think they spent 15 million on him. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, similar like And then Alarezi Hambach, 17 million, didn't really pay off. Um, Jose Esquerdo had a lot of injuries. You know, that's kind of close to 50 million for, the, for those three guys. That hasn't always worked out. But yeah, I would say that um, it's been sort of marginal gains throughout the time. But now they've, they've got a lot of players who are just you know, very competent players. Um, and I'd say just on one final point, one, one thing that's interesting with Brighton is that their net spend was was actually one of the highest. It was a, um, definitely in the top 10 for Premier League because basically they never sold any other players on. It was always, let's buy a player and that's it. We, there was mm. literally, but what changed was Ben White being sold for 50 million and, and also in the last, I guess, year or so, They've they've had players like Eve Basuma, Tarrant Lamptey, who have been 
who uh, a lot of interest is for you know coming towards these players, and that's something that's just never happened before. So they're now being able to develop players that could be sold on for a lot of money. So I think um, overall, yeah, Brighton are definitely going in an upward trajectory. Mm. Mm. Can you just explain the the Eves Basuma situation for people who aren't aware? He's been out of the side uh, for some off-field issues, but he's been back involved lately. And, and do you expect him to play on Saturday? Yeah, so he, um, I think a, uh, about six weeks or so ago, he extended his knee uh, against Leicester in the Premier League and missed about a month of games. And then he was an undue substitute for a while and he still got strapping on his left knee. Uh, he made his first, got his uh, first bit of game time in yeah, quite a while uh, when he came off the bench last Wednesday uh, for about half an hour against Leicester City. And then he started against uh, Liverpool on Saturday and he played for an hour. So it would tend to suggest that he is fine. I mean, because obviously there was, you know, three game, three days between those two games and he was able to play, you know, 90 minutes overall. Mm -hmm. So it would tend to suggest that he is probably going to be okay for uh, the Newcastle game and, yeah, he, he's arguably Brighton's best player now. He topped the last season for, I think, combined... I think he was the only player to get a combined 150 tackles and interceptions in the Premier League. Um, he was linked with teams like Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Real Madrid. Um, apparently, uh, Brighton chairman Tony Bloom uh, said, well, hinted that he uh, is 40 million at least for him. Uh, mm. And this is, you know, his contract runs out in the summer of 2023, so it's not that long. But yeah, he is at his best. He's just a colossus on the pitch. Um, so yeah, I think Newcastle's chances will be greatly emboldened if he does not start. Mm. But I think he okay. will. Interesting. Uh, your goalkeeper as well, Robert Sanchez. He seems to have come from nowhere. Uh, someone who's developed at Brighton. He's he's keeping Kepa out of the Spain squad at the minute. He actually played against Newcastle twice in 2019-20 when he was on loan at Rochdale they famously forced a replay in the FA Cup but then were beaten 4-1 at St James's Park so he knows New he knows Newcastle he looks like a consummate Premier League goalkeeper very confident big size and likes to come out and exchange passes with your, your centre backs yeah he's uh yeah just on, on the Rochdale point it's kind of uh crazy how sort of meteoric his rise has been um so yeah just over a year ago, uh, well, yeah, about 18 months ago, he was obviously playing a League One in Rochdale. And then he got here his first start for Brighton in um, in November against Tottenham and then took up the kind of number one jersey, you know, full time from mid-December. Uh, and then not that long after, he was called up to the Spain squad. So to go from, yeah, League One Rochdale on loan, obviously, to then, you know, and then getting a cap for Spain, it's it's pretty impressive. And um, he was he was in the top ten for like save percentage last season. Um, there was uh, uh, I can't quite remember his name, but there's a sort of a an expert that looks at goalkeeper analysis, and he was deemed as one of, if not the best shot stopper in the league. Um, six foot five, huge frame, unbelievably athletic. They call him the Panther. Um, <laughs> he's yeah, he's huge, huge. Kind of wingspan and, and just so much spring and 
Um, he does have the odd error in him, like uh, he, he might sort of drop the ball in the box, something like that. Or and he does um, against Liverpool at the weekend. He got very lucky because he was past the ball in a six-yard box. He tried to clear it, and he was charged down by Mane, but it hit his hand and then went mm. in. So it was a handball was all out. Mm. But he does, yeah. He's very, very capable with his feet. Loves to. He's he's really, um, yeah. In terms of actually starting a Brighton move, so Brighton's second goal against Liverpool when they came from two down, it was he drilled a thirty-yard pass, just kind of skimmed it, you know, off the deck mm. beautifully, like kind of raised it in, and then a, f- a few moves later they equalised. So um, yeah, he, he's he's a, a really big part of the improvement. Um, I think Jamie Carragher said earlier this season on Monday Night Football that he was he's actually the difference between Brighton from last season. Brighton at this stage had nine points from 10 games. They had a guy called Matt Ryan in goal, an Australian mm. keeper who um, was much smaller, kind of six foot compared to six foot five Sanchez. But in terms of having that really, if you've got that assured presence behind you, it, really, it just lifts the defenders as well. And it just uh, makes the whole kind of unit more secure. Mm. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he has the odd error, but he's still, you know, he's only 23, um, 10, 24 soon, I think. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a definitely exciting prospect. Mm-hmm. And eligible for England as well, technically. But I think he's very much in with the Spain team at the minute. Um, but uh, moving it on, we've um, had a little look at the stats. Newcastle have had an average of thirty-seven point seven percent possession across the opening ten games. That's the lowest in the league. Brighton had a look; have the sixth highest possession stats in the league, fifty-four point three percent. So I guess that's a window into how this game is going to go, isn't it? A lot of the ball for Brighton. Yes, yeah, certainly at home they tend to. Um, they, sometimes on the road they have a, a bit more of a pragmatic approach where they'll sort of pick and choose when to, to tap and keep the ball. And actually, last season uh, they actually won more matches when they had less of less of the ball. Uh, surprisingly, they mm. just so often they apart from sorry apart from against Newcastle, um, mm. they they were basically times where. They would struggle to break teams down. They have so the ball, so much of the ball, but they didn't have enough creativity to unlock defenses. If you just sort of sat back, uh, had a low block type thing. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's very much about possession, you know, being patient, biding their time, and then trying to unpick a defense. Um, but yeah, it, it should be. Th- yeah, I think they they they're very close or very similar percentage to Liverpool. Um, at Anfield, you know, possession-wise, so they they they're a very technical, uh, technically gifted team, and that a lot of that is down to Potter because, yeah, uh, uh, in the 2018-19 season they were criticised for being quite dull under Chris Hutton, um, and yeah, Brighton fans are absolutely loving the way they play. They're, there's a clear kind of um, path that they're going down, and they yeah they can't get enough of it. Mm. The team Brighton as well also seem to have quite strong second halves. Is 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 that a Potter thing, a fitness thing? Because because Newcastle fans, some of them have voiced concerns about the fitness of the squad, and and you know after an hour tiredness seems to creep in. Brighton, the opposite seems to happen. They they seem to have better second periods in games. Yeah, it's a, that's a really good point. Um, so yeah, on the on the first game of the season, they were pretty out of sorts against Burnley. They went one 0 down. They conceded in the first few minutes, um, but then they. In the second half, they scored two goals and came back to win. Uh, a lot of it is down to 
Graham Potter's done some really good timely substitutions, whereas last year it was a bit haphazardous and he was accused of sort of over-tinkering and changing too much between each match, whereas I think this season he's generally got a pretty settled starting eleven with the odd one or two changes. There were some times when he would make six changes from one week to the next, which really baffled some fans. But yeah, in terms of the Burnley game, they scored a 90th minute winner against Brentford. Uh, they scored a 95th minute equaliser against Crystal Palace. Um, they scored um, against Liverpool. You know, they won the second half 1 0. Against Man City, it was 1 all. Obviously, they, they lost the first half 3 0 in the 4 1 loss. But mm. um, yeah, they, they, it's a good point. Yeah, they, they do. They seem to be very fit at the moment. Um, they seem to uh, sort of have their charge at the right moment. I guess if you put your horse in, you know, just kind of they have a little spurt at the end. Um, yes, they uh, they definitely seem to have no fitness issues, I guess you could say. Mm. And how about injuries? I'm, I'm having a look. It looks like um, Dan Byrne might be unavailable. He's a Geordie lad. Born in Blythe, he was released by Newcastle, aged eleven. Um, he he's is he going to make it? Anyone else who who might not be available for you? Uh, so, yeah. So the press conference with Graham Potter is, is later to say, but yeah. the signs of it, it doesn't look good. Um, he had a a knee injury in preseason. He missed the first few games um, of this campaign, and it looks like a reoccurrence of his injury. He fell heavily uh, last Wednesday against Newcastle. Missed the Liverpool game. They had a scan, and I think he said it doesn't look as bad as initially feared. But I personally am pretty sure that he won't make the game. Um, so yeah, there's one six foot seven player out of the way. Um, <laughs> it looks so uh, long term injuries. Uh, Danny Welbeck is out for a number of uh, about three months or so with a hamstring mm-hmm. problem. He had surgery on that. Stephen Alzate, another player, he's out for a similar amount of time. I think Welbeck scored actually in the last time these times these two teams met. So a uh, little factor there. Um, and then <clears throat> in terms of, yeah, so assume is probably a yes. Um, Adam Webster is, uh, he's coming back from a hamstring problem. He played about an hour last week against Leicester. He should be in the squad. Um, other than that, that's the kind of the main three. So yeah, Dan Byrne, uh, Welbeck and Alzati are the, the three guys that are out. Hmm. And how do you think Brighton will set up in terms of formation um, and uh, style of, of approach to this game? So one thing that they they do uh, like to do is three centre-backs, um, usually uh, Lewis Dunk, um, if Adam Webster's fit, Adam Webster and Shane Duffy. Shane Duffy's been unbelievably good this season after a terrible hmm. and very difficult a year or so alone spell at Celtic. His father passed away last summer um, and then he got his uh, loan spell terminated early um, at the hoops, which, but he's been, yeah, he's been unbelievable. Uh, absolute rock at the back. So yeah, those three. Um, and then they have, uh, usually have two wing backs. Um, Joel Veltman is very, very dependable uh, at right wing back. Uh, and on the left, unbelievable signing for Brighton, uh, Mark Kukurea from Getafe. Uh, he looks a little bit like Sideshow Bob from Simpsons, kind of the big yeah. curly hair. Yeah. Um, he's very, very good on the left. And But there's a chance that Tarek Lamptey could potentially start. He's been out mm. for, well, he was out for 10 months with a hamstring injury and he's sort of been drip-feeded back in. Um, he played the last, I think, half an hour against Liverpool and um, 
gave Andy Robertson nightmares. Um, he So there's a chance that he could start, uh, but I reckon he will still probably come off the bench. So, yeah, so three centre-backs, the wing-back, and then Basuma, if he's fit, will start mm-hmm. kind of number six, holding midfield, box-to-box kind of role. Mm-hmm. Uh, ahead of them, or ahead of him, I think Adam Milano is, is, is doing very well this season. Um, and then maybe someone like Alexis McAllister or Pascal Gross. Um, Leandro Trossard was fantastic as a false nine uh, last weekend, but I think person that Neil Mopo we brought back into side as the kind of striker up top. Um, and then, um, just trying to think who else there. They've, they've got a lot of, they've, uh, Brighton have got, a, a, in terms of their strongest area in midfield, they've got a lot of good options. Um, mm-hmm. Jakob Moda could, could potentially play as well. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of, yeah, three at the back, wing backs, Pat the midfield and then probably one striker up front um, with Trossard sort of a, a winger slash number 10 who kind of roams about a lot. But yeah, mm-hmm. they're quite fluid in how they move. But yeah, that's how I reckon they will set up. Okay, so that, that's the team. Let, let me cut to the chase. How did Newcastle beat Brighton on Saturday? Sorry, there's just been some um, people doing some roadworks outside. Oh, that's a, that's a convenient way to dodge my, my killer question there. We need some... <laughs> We need some intel here. You're cutting up. You're cutting up. Um, <laughs> so how they be? So I, I reckon um, uh, one one thing that worked well for Everton this uh, season when they beat them two 0 at the Amex was um, they used their wingers very well. So Damari Gray and, and Townsend uh, they they were kind of. They were roaming about quite a lot, but they were just very direct wingers and they just took on the kind of um, defenders and and really stretched right at the back. Uh, I think, yes, I think wingers might be the way to go. Um, the, the kind of, if you can also get pace running at the back three, so if you have Adam Webster, who's six foot three, Lewis Dunk, six foot four, Shane Duffy, six foot four, none of those guys are rapid. You know, they're kind of, they're very... Uh, technically able, big strong guys, but not the quickest. So maybe if you get you know quick guys run with them, um, and every now and again Brighton still can sort of concede from set pieces. But I think um, if you press them high, you can maybe press them into mistakes. Uh, Man City did that. Obviously, Man City are you know different gravy, but they they had such a high press in the first half, and that really prevented Brighton from playing out well so they would sort of they would push them so far back almost into their box when they're passing out then they try to play it forward and then a city player would intercept the ball and then they would yeah so there was mm. if you press them high enough you can force mistakes um so yeah it's obviously uh, and newcastle they definitely do have the players to do it you know so maximum i i rate him so highly i think he's absolutely brilliant um mm-hmm. on his day i think he can almost tear teams apart single-handedly so I, yeah, Brighton are obviously a very strong defensive, um, not defensive, very resolute team, but they can be got at. Um, Everton showed that um, they weren't particularly good against Norwich. Uh, that's the problem that Brighton had last season. They just couldn't beat the teams around them in the, in the table. They they um, they lost and drew to Sheffield United, who got relegated. They lost and drew to West Brom, who got relegated. They drew drew nil nil with Fulham. Um, they really struggled to beat the teams around them. So, uh, it's yeah, it's definitely not a foregone conclusion that they can beat them. So, there's mm. a, 
yeah, 100% uh, sort of, uh, yeah, a chance for Newcastle. Interesting, yeah. I mean, obviously Newcastle don't press like Man City. Uh, Callum Wilson does like the press, but whether or not he has the personnel in and around him to, to join, that's key, I think, to it. And I think Sir Maximum will, will definitely start the game, but maybe um, if, if Brighton have um, a, a weakness against speed, it might bring... Willock and Almiron back into the, the starting lineup. They haven't started the last few games, so perhaps we'll see Willock and Almiron um, in a bid to, to press Brighton's defence into some mistakes. We'll see, we'll see. Um, can I get a prediction from you, Richie, for, for what you, how you think it might go on Saturday evening? Sure. So I'll go for a gentleman's 9 all. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, I am going to go for a 2-1 win to Brighton. Okay. okay. What about yourself? I I don't I I think a, the best Newcastle could hope for is a draw. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Graham Jones sets up because uh, he's gone very cautious for the the games he's been in charge. Crystal Palace and obviously Chelsea. He 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 might see this as 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 his as his final game. It probably is his final game, and he he might decide to go for it. Um, although Newcastle tried to go for it at Brighton last season and 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 lost heavily, very embarrassing, probably the lowest point of the season. So it's going to be very interesting to see the starting lineup. He he named an unchanged team against Chelsea. I'd like to think he's going to freshen it up and maybe maybe he'll have a go. He's, he's got nothing to lose, but Newcastle need points. So it's, it's it's a hard one to call, but I think a draw, I would take a draw right now as, as, we, as we're discussing this on uh, Thursday morning. So we'll see. I'll, I'll predict a draw. Um, one and just question, to, sorry, yeah. just for, for Brighton fans, do you think that Newcastle will have a new manager at the helm for Saturday's game? No. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. They'd, they'd, I'd be very surprised that the the pace at which the the new owners operate is is very, shall we say, measured, <laughs> to put it politely. Um, they're not rushing into anything. Um, they may, they may have announced a new manager, but he, I would be staggered if there's someone a new manager in the dugout for the game on Saturday evening. They, he may be in the stands, but um, I think they're going to get this game out of the way. Then there's a bit of breathing space with the international break. So don't expect to see. A new manager, Graham Jones. We're Thursday morning now. Graham Jones has had the team. They'll be travelling tomorrow. So Graham Jones in charge. Um, but hopefully there's a new manager in charge for the Brentford game in uh, later in the month. So we'll see. Uh, just to say as well, there's 3,100 Newcastle fans um, going to this game. 700-mile round journey. Second bottom of the league. No managers. Evening kickoff. So it'll have to be a an overnighter or a long coach or, or, or car yeah. journey back. So safe travel. To all the Newcastle Great fans, for that one. <laughs> yeah, BT is on this one, so they're BT fault. So, right. so, yeah, always, uh, always the fans who, who who bear the brunt of that. So, safe journey, everyone. Great support. That game went on sale before the takeover went through, so um, it just shows that the the loyalty is is there as ever with Newcastle fans. So, um, so yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up there, Richie. Thanks, thanks so much for for doing this today, and 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 good luck on Saturday. Uh, I know you've got uh, to prepare for Graham Potter's press conference later today. Um, and thanks everyone for joining us just to say before we go please subscribe to the everything is black and white podcast via whichever platform you're listening to us on press the notification bell so you get the episodes as soon as they land and follow chronicle lives newcastle united channels on social media we are chronicle live on twitter facebook and instagram and last one stay up to date with everything black and white by subscribing to our daily newcastle united newsletters these are free and i'll put a link to sign up to them 
uh, in the comments and the show notes. So if you tap that and uh, hit Sport Newcastle United updates, you'll be signed up to receive all the best Newcastle content from Chronicle Live every day for free. Um, on Saturday, of course, we'll be at Brighton uh, to bring you the, the build-up from the Amex, the team news, live updates, reaction, all that on our match day blog on chroniclelive.co.uk. So, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in to our Brighton v Newcastle United match preview pod with me, Matt Ketchell, and Brighton reporter Richie Mills from Sussex Live.